The rest of you, why don't you grab your Bibles? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. Hey, if you're new to our church, we didn't say this earlier, and I didn't say it during family time. We got two different QR codes. QR codes are those kind of weird kind of barcode looking things in a square. You'll see one in the seat back in front of you. That's particularly for those of you that are visitors. If you're new to our church and want to get more plugged in, maybe you'd like to receive the weekly email. You can indicate that by scanning that QR code and filling out that connect card. Or if you'd like to get to know one of the pastors and and you would just simply like to meet us and share with us part of your story, if you have questions about the church, we would be happy to meet with you. And you can use that Connect card to indicate that as well. The other QR code is in the back of your bulletin. That shares with you tons of things that are going on in the life of King's Chapel, uh, things that you want to register for, uh, participate in. So uh, take advantage of both of those so that you can uh, get plugged in more into the life of the church, whether you've been here for a couple weeks or 23 years. All right. We have been looking at house rules. We are called to submit out of reverence for Christ, to be imitators of God, to walk in the light, to love one another. And so last week we looked at kids and the house rules for kids, which was what? One word, kids. What was it? Oh, oh that was no. There was no energy there. I thought at least I'd get some energy from the parents. Obey. Dagummit. Um. Obey is the call, the house rule for kids. Well, we come to the parents today. Parents. And, I, and I, um, I was texting with someone this week about how ridiculous it is that I'm preaching on parenting. Um, you know, there, there, is a lot, there is a ridiculousness to putting any man who has fallen and sinful to preach the, preach the word of God and call us to righteousness. But I don't know that there's anything that attacks my sense of integrity more than having to preach on this subject in which there has been some, nothing that I feel like has taught me of my fallenness more than this mission and this call to be a parent. And so I'm going to say really hard things today. By the way, this is, a, this, is, this is part two of House Rules, but this is going to be part two A, and we'll do part two B next week, because uh, we're going to do two weeks on parenting, and this week is going to be the call. Um, I have so much to say that... Um, we're going to do the call this week, and you're not going to get a whole, whole lot of gospel. I want to comfort us with the gospel in parenting and how Jesus actually parents us in our parenting, and we'll deal with that next week. But I, I want you to know that even while I call us to very hard things this morning and a great task, that I do so with, um, I don't know if humility is the right word, but I would say brokenness about my own failures in this world, in this area of the world, and what God calls us to here. All right, house rules for us parents. Here's what it is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This sends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of God stand forever, and may the word of God help us. All right, we got a lot of parents in the room, and if you've been a parent for uh, 36 hours, you know that parenting is hard. Um, it's one of those like 
understatements that speaks loudly. Parenting is very hard. I, 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 one of my favorite comedians is, is Jim Gaffigan because he has so many kids. He's a Roman Catholic, and so they don't believe in birth control, I don't think. And, um, and I love what Jim Gaffigan uh, talks about in the difficulty of parenting when he and his wife had just had their fourth child. He, he, they live in New York City, and so that's a lot of kids to ha- having in New York City. And they, people were asking them, what's it like to have a, cho- a fourth child? And his response was this, was, imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> that's parenting in a nutshell, is it not? And that's what some of us, I mean, that's what you feel even when you get that first baby. You're like, I was just trying to make life work on my own. And then someone let me go home with a human being. Parenting, and it, it hasn't gotten easier. I think it used to be, there was a simplicity to it before. Like when you were, when, as a parent, all you were trying to do was just keep your children alive. There's actually some freedom in that, right? It's like, listen, we're just trying to find enough food to feed them. But now it's like, I mean, it's so difficult. It's all the allergies, the food allergies. I mean, our children come with stickers in the Sunday school because we have so many different things we can't even breathe in now. Vaccines or no vaccines. Devices or no devices. We've got prom or dating or the lack of dating. We've got unrelenting academic pressures. There's ADHD and there's RAD and there's ODD and there's PTSD and there's OCD and then there's PPE for a while and then there's social media. Oh, TikTok. TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all of our options for what we feed our kids and keep our kids from, all of this stuff is just frankly, it's just stressing us out. And then, and then we become so insecure about this that we seem to, to um, have the need to fight with one another over who is right about these things. Oh, you people, you birth at home people. You birth your, I mean, do you want your child to die? You, you, uh, you science denier. Oh, you people who birth your children in hospitals. Do you hate your kids? I mean, that's a disease. People go to hospitals to die. Do you hate them? Oh, you homeschool your kids. Oh my goodness. Do you want them to be antisocial pariahs in society? Wait, you public school your kids? Oh. Do you want them to grow up to be Satan worshipers? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and, and we look at this, and I mean, we, we have the mommy mafias, and they're just at each other's throats. I mean, they're worse than Mexican drug cartels. <laughs> it's awful. Now, hold, hold, understand this, that we are so insecure and we're so scared that we're all just trying to find something to give us a sense of sanity. And so we go, I will cling to that. Attachment parenting, yes, yes. Oh, baby wise. I love baby wise. I mean, just make them cry it out, right? Yes. And everybody else who does it wrong, I know you're violating the thing that I'm clinging to to give me sanity in the midst of this. And here's the thing, kids. This is really hard. And, and for the kids in the room, here's the secret. The reason why our parents, your parents are freaking out is because of this. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and we only have one shot at it. And every day... We are new parents. No matter whether you were an infant or you've hit elementary school or high school, you know, this is the first time I've ever had to parent a teenager in my life. And when my teenager becomes a married person, that'll be the first time in my life I am the parent of somebody who is married. 
And so we look around and we go, would someone please give me some answers? And we look at the Bible and we say, would you just speak directly to me? Just tell me what to do, please. And so we open our Bibles and what do we find? Almost nothing. Did you know that? I mean, you actually think about it. There's hardly anything that speaks directly to parenting. In fact, in the New Testament, we essentially get one verse. One verse. And we read it today. I need volumes, and you give me one verse. But might I say that that is the mercy of God? Because in a world that is filled with volume after volume and library after library of parenting advice, he says, I have one thing for you to do. One goal, one mission. In the midst of the ups and downs, twists and turns of parenting, here's your mission. And here's what it is. I'm going to describe it this way. It was really easy last week. House rule for the kids, obey. Here's what it is for you parents. Feed them. Feed them. Don't forget to feed your kids. The verse there says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That Greek word for bring them up literally means nourish them. It means feed them. Feed your kids with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there was a negative command too. Do not provoke to anger. And then there's the positive, bring them up. And so we could rephrase this. Here's your points this morning based on what we just read in one verse. All right, first point is this in the negative and then the positive. First point is don't starve the children. This is easy to remember, right? Of all the things you can do as a parent is make sure you don't starve your kids. We see them text when it says this, do not provoke your children, fathers. It's speaking to fathers because they're the head of the household. They're the ones who are ultimately responsible. But it also, it's the way it culturally would mean that that's the one who's responsible. But this is speaking to both fathers and mothers. But Paul assumes that there is something about us parents that we have the incredible ability and knack for angering our children. And so maybe I put it this way in regards to starving our kids. Don't make your kids be hangry. Don't make your kids hangry. The meaning of the word provoke here has to do with the anger, the word of anger and frustration or bitterness. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that children won't sometimes get angry when you're doing it right. In fact, sometimes they will get angry because you're doing it right. If fathers, if you never get your children uh, angry, that's impossible in my experience. And in fact, anybody you love, you will sometimes have to tell them things and put strictures and boundaries into their life that they will not enjoy. And so sometimes because you love them, they will get angry. But what this word is referring to is a bitterness, a sort of settled rage and anger. It means that we can parent in such a way year upon year and decade upon decade in such a way that we can form in our children an abiding settled disposition of resentment that will be very difficult to unlock from them. It means that we can parent in such a way, year upon year, that forms in our children an abiding, settled disposition of resentment. That you can wake up one day and go, how would you describe your kid? And the word would be, they are angry. They are bitter. 
they are resentful. How do you provoke your kids in a way that facilitates a growing spirit of bitterness and resentment? Well, how do we provoke the O children? Let me list the ways. We can, here's just a sampling. We can be harsh with them instead of gentle. Yelling, inappropriate use of physical force. We can shame them. That means disciplining them, even rightly, but doing it in public, doing it in a way that embarrasses. It's tearing down their personhood as opposed to building up their image bearing. This is disciplining them for everything, in which the child is disciplined for every little single thing in such a way that they eventually go, I can't do anything to please these people, why try? Disciplining unrealistically, which means not, that means calling our children to behave in things that we can't do and that they are not even yet equipped to do. It can be disciplining without encouragement, that you always, your discipline is always negative. But what we see in the Bible is that God, when he calls his people by his laws, he is constantly saying, do this because there are blessings. Not, some of you just, you just have, we have the blessings tied behind your back and all you ever do is discipline with the cursings. You fail to restore, that you indefinitely hold your child's faults and failures against them, that you make your love unconditional. Yes, parents, we're going to have, have moments where we're displeased. God is displeased by disbehavior, by disobedience. But the, what we see here is that when our children come to understand that our love for them is on the line, it's when we crush their voice, treating your child's desires and needs and words and expressions as being nothing but foolishness and folly all the time. It's being unapproachable as a parent because maybe you're literally physically not there, constantly gone, either because of overwork or because of addictions or obsession with hobbies or maybe because of divorce. Or it could be that you are emotionally distant, that you're simply absent. Parents, our phones are killing us. It's killing our parenting because our children are talking to us and we're looking at this. And it's being unwilling to let our children grow up. This is the helicopter parent who doesn't understand that when our children are 18 and 19 and 20 years old, we might have to relinquish the control just a bit. This is so overprotecting them and afraid of letting them go and afraid of letting them fail that we ride them constantly. We will not trust God to give them the freedom to live on their own. So look at all the ways you can screw up. Isn't that such good news, mamas and papas? But here's what I actually want to say. Here's the core cause of parenting that provokes. And that is this. It is when our children are there to feed us instead of us being there to feed them. Because all those things I just listed, they come from this. When their performance, when their behavior, when their success when their relationship with you, when their righteousness is there to feed your sense of security, your sense of worth, your sense of value, your sense of significance, and your comforts, whatever idol you selfishly serve and you demand that your children feed that idol so that you can be fed. The cause of parenting that provokes is the perspective and the parenting that when we parent our children and ask them to feed us instead of feeding them. And this can manifest itself in a long list of ways and ways that we provoke our kids. Let me just connect the dots. For example, for those of you that are the angry parent that harshly disciplines, that is always riding your kid, why are you doing this? Because you can't handle a kingdom in which you are being disrespected. You can't handle a household in which things are not in the exact order in which you demand them to be. And so every time your child steps out of line, you blow them up. 
It can be seen the parent who's unwilling to discipline ever. Why are you doing this? Because you fear your children's reaction and you so desperately need your child to love you. If you're not secure in the love of God, then you will not discipline with them because you're afraid you will lose them. That they will withhold from you what you so desperately need from them, which is their affection and their approval because that is your lifeblood. Because you won't get that affection and that approval from Jesus. For similar reasons, we can see it in the parent that overindulges their kid. We're obsessed with giving our kids stuff. We believe that this is the end-all, be-all. God forbid our child should not have some opportunity in the world. So iPads and computers and every single travel team, all of these things, we do it because we like them and it pleases us to please them, even if it means we rot their souls with material things. It can be seen the parent who cannot handle their child receiving consequences because when their child receives consequences from someone else, it says something about the parent, which is that you're not a success. It can be seen the parent constantly driving their kids to achieve and perform, and so the parent parent can feel better about themselves. You cannot achieve your self-worth through your child's athletic, academic, or artistic, or vocational performance. And by the way, It can be seen in the good Christian parent who just can't stand the pace of God's sanctification in their child's life. In which they would say, why is my child not fully sanctified by nine? And we cannot understand it. Be holy right now because your child's holiness becomes your own righteousness and your acceptance. And in all these things, in all their various manifestations, it comes back to this, that our children are there to feed us instead of us feeding our children so that they may live and grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good father and the good mother must have this goal of feeding their children and not their children feeding them. Parenting must involve one's death to self. The death to self. It is a sacrificial giving of your life in a holistic manner in order to feed and give life to another. And that requires sacrifice, in some ways, the death of the parents. Now, hold on, real quick, let me give us a side note. Because there's different ways in which I see people um, miss in regards to the sacrificial life in the the ways they parent. Let me manifest this in two different ways that I hear and see as as a pastor from my perspective. One is there's a parent who has the no-care way. That means they give themselves no care in order to live. Everything is centered around the child. That means death to the parents. But it's death to things that God says are good. So this is the mom and dad who are willing to see their finances destroyed and their bodies destroyed and to see their marriage destroyed and to see their relationship with God withered away all so that their life can revolve around their children. But all of that is still, is still all feeding an idol. And if you die, if you die, try, because if, you, if you don't care for your children and you die, listen, you can't care for them if you're dead spiritually and emotionally. If your marriage is in shambles and you get divorced, that's going to cause serious problems in your parenting. And so these other things cannot be sacrificed in order to parent your kids. The other way, the other way that is the language in the world is this, is the self-care way. Now, there's a big difference from dying from lack of personal nutrition around those things that are good and simply having to give up some comforts and personal desires. The idea of self-care, and, I, and, I, and I'm a, somewhat, 
I know I've pushed to this in some ways, and I just don't like the way it's being used in our world. It pushes against something that we are called to be sacrificial, and I want you to do self-care. If you need to rest, try to get rest. If you need to work out, work out. You need to take care of your body. But the, the issue is this. Some, you know why high house prices are so high? Yes, it's because inflation, because the general uptake of real estate, but also why? Because what we do with our homes, the standard of living is so high now. Man, the houses that I grew up in, that my friends had growing up, were shacks compared to the mansions we all live in now. You could put your hand through every door that I ever saw as a kid. It was so cheap and so junky, right? And yet now, everything you, our bathrooms are, are like are, are granite and marble. I can't wait to see the day that our toilets are just these, some, you know, these luxurious thrones in our homes. What has happened is our standard of living, and so it is with our self-care. Our self-care has gone up and up and up as what it means to do self-care. And so I'd have this question. What does it actually mean for you to do self-care, parents? How many hours of Netflix do you need to watch that will enable you to have the energy to go watch your kids? How many hours of running away from the responsibility in order to go do those things that are quote-unquote life-giving do you need in order to move back towards your children and care for them? Yes, seek your physical care. Try to get rest. I know that's hard. Watch your food. Seek to get exercise. And understand that there might be seasons of times in which those things have to be given up, but they may come back. But also, I would say this. Does your self-care involve at all soul care? That, all, that our, we will become so consumeristic and so comfort, comfortable in our life that I, we, we struggle as parents because we want me, 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 and my comfort, and yet we never actually run to the one who can give us strength to do the parenting, to spend time with Jesus, to cry out to him in the dark hours of the morning. Listen, don't hear me wrong. I'm not trying to shame us as parents. But these things will be different for different families at different seasons of time. And to give yourself and to pour yourself into this mission that God has given you, and that you would be willing to sacrifice and yet at the same time say, am I, dying? am I dying to the good things that God has given me? Is my relationship with Jesus dying? Is my relationship with my spouse dying? Also because life centers around these kids. The point I would like you to consider is this. Is this the North Star? Is this the centripetal force of parenting? Is it feeding your children in the Lord? Or does it begin with you in some way, shape, or form? Now, you may hear this and you go, well, listen, that list of things, you miss it off. I do any number of those, and so do I. The evidence is clear that there's these ways in which I guilt my kids and I shame my kids and I come down on my kids. But you know what? The evidence, you may, the evidence of what really drives us in to our kids, it makes them not just angry momentarily, but makes us a settled resentment in their life, is when the parents see that they have been selfish and that they fail and are unwilling to change. In other words, it's the parent who says, I'm the parent, you change. And that we are unwilling to repent and humble ourselves, which makes our selfishness in all its various forms a settled resentment in our kids is because it happens year after year and decade after decade so that our kids come home from Thanksgiving when they're 42 and they come back to their, fam their, their friends after Thanksgiving and they go, that was miserable again because mom and dad have not changed one bit. 
Destruction in our parenting comes, in our children's lives, comes when we're unwilling to repent of the selfishness that we see. And God is offering us a way of repentance. He says this to Israel, actually, in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15. He said, Thus the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Want to have angry kids? Label them, critique them, constantly find fault in them while remaining blind to your own stuff. God says don't provoke your children to anger and what provokes them is to be disciplined by parents who, receive, who fail to see their own sin, to be treated harshly and labeled as self, lazy, self-indulgent, and ungrateful by parents who are unaware that they themselves are lazy, self-indulgent, and ungrateful. Stop getting furious over their sins and make your sin the primary focus. If you are shocked by your children's sin, then that means you are just utterly blind to your own because they came from you, didn't they? And said, come to the humble place that realizes that your children act foolish because they're related to you. And that you came into this world foolish. And that frankly, you've become very socially mature, but you really haven't come that very far in your sanctification. And so humble yourself and give your child something that almost no child has, a repentant parent. And I don't mean just a confessing parent. You know, repentance is not just confession. It's a parent who says, I confess of my anger, and son, this is the things I'm going to do in order to bring change and transformation in my life. To time and time again, promise your children's change, a change in your life, and to not do it is destructive. But understand this. We see it even in the world of science. There's such good news for you as we end this point. That repentance and restoration to your children has much greater power than the destructive power you've brought into that relationship. This is something coming from like the connected child attachment parenting world. But the, the, the science shows, and this is the good news for us, it shows that God's model is best. That while we have been estranged from God, that the redemptive power of Jesus connects us to him so beautifully. And so it is. The science shows that the rift, the break in attachment that happens when a parent is harsh or not gentle or disciplines a child. That the traumas that are experienced there, that when there's real restoration that happens and reconnection, that what they find literally in the brain waves is it cuts a deeper swath through the brain, the reconnection that happens. So parents, this is good news. Because that means that as you repent and as you seek to do real restoration with your kids in the ways that you've provoked them, redemption is available. And God has hardwired us for it. So don't starve your kids. Got that? That's easy, right? Second, don't forget to feed them. But feed the children. I kept for all week I've had the Remember the old lady from Mary Poppins who's like got the song, feed the birds, Poppins a bag. But let that kind of just ruminate in your head in a really creepy way. Feed the children. Feed the children. Bring them up, it says. That means nourish them, feed them. It's the same word that's used in, to husbands in Ephesians 5.29 when it says that Christ nourishes his church. That means he provides and he protects. Parents, this is the telos. That means the goal. 
This is the end-all, be-all of parenting. The goal is for them to be captured with the beauty and the power of who their God is in Jesus Christ. That they would understand the gospel is for them and for every area of their life. This is the end game. Feed them, Jesus. The point of our lives and the point of, of your children is not to help them get rich or happy or have a great retirement or be seen as smart or successful. The end goal must be kept in focus amongst the thousand decisions you make every day. Give them Jesus. That this is the North Star. Feed them Christ. Dwight Eisenhower said, we succeed only as we do, we succeed in life or in war or in anything else, only as we have one single overriding objective, and we make all other considerations bend to that objective. Paul is crystal clear as what the objective is. Bring them up in the Lord. Give them the Lord. And we nourish them and we feed them as we carry out two tasks, he says, It involves two tasks. The first task is discipline. Discipline. The word there can also mean training. And I'm going to try to use that word because some of you have got a lot of baggage with the word discipline. (laughs) Oh, it's my father. You know the old, like, the Stephen Chapman, was it Stephen Gary Chapman, the old uh, Five Love Languages book? You know, uh, words of, 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 of um, encouragement, uh, physical touch, gifts, acts of service, you know, quality time. Those are the five languages. But my dad used to say that his love language was discipline. <laughs> um, I have fairly good memories of being disciplined and being trained. Some of you don't. For some of you, that word involves beatings and abuse. But that is not what is commended in Scripture. What is commended in scripture is like, I want to think like a coach, someone who trains up their child to be stronger and healthier and in better shape. That's the language I'd like you to think of. What is being commended is more like what you would see a good coach do, where they're out on the practice field and and in the weight room. And yes, they bring correction. Hey, your form could be tweaked this way. Right? You're connecting their form, but you're changing their footwork, and, but you, and you may have them one wind sprints in order so that they may be stronger. And sometimes because they, as discipline, as, a, as in order to chastise them because of lack of concentration or care in their activities. But they're, they're, they're seeking to build them up and strengthen them for the task at hand. And this is really important. As a part of our discipline and training of our kids, we have to tell them Why? Why? Because we're training them up in the Lord. In other words, we are growing and shaping our kids to live for King Jesus. We are feeding our kids by training them for a goal in their life. And we have a purpose as parents, and they, our kids, have a purpose for their life as well. That this is not arbitrary. We must connect the goal with the call on a day-in, day-out basis. If you're an athlete and you're in the off-season preparing for the next season, you have to have a goal. There's a reason why you would go and do the, all the, shed all the blood, sweat, and tears. And so as parents, discipline and train your children as a means of preparing your children to be servants in the army of the Lord. That means give them a higher purpose than just get good grades and keeping their room clean. Now, you should call them to get good grades and keep their room clean, but connect it to the love of God and the love of neighbor. That life is about the glory of God, not about indulging oneself. And it's about loving our neighbors for the glory of God. So let me give you an example of this. This doesn't even have to be something biblical. It could just simply be the realm of manners. 
This is why we teach our kids manners like, hey, don't pick your nose at the table. And your kid looks at you and goes, but I want to. And now why don't we tell, why do we tell our kids not to pick their nose at the table? Here's how most of us, well, the reason we give most of our, our, our kids for why they shouldn't pick their nose at the table. Don't pick your nose at the table because it's gross. Or don't pick your, well, you can pick your nose at this table, but when you go to somebody else's house, you darn well better not pick your nose at their table because that would embarrass me. No, your ethic about picking noses should be stated this way. We don't pick our nose at the table because other people matter. And if you want to be a little bit more elaborate with it, because other people are matter and they think it's gross. And God's called you to love them. That even if you don't think it's gross, they're the weaker brother. And so don't do it. In other words, what I'm, I'm connecting the ridiculous, but I'm connecting this to the mission of God in the world. That my rules and our wisdom principles are not just out there arbitrarily, but we're saying, kids, we're shaping you, informing you for a mission in this world. And it's, it's a mission that's far greater than a mere dance recital, but your dance recital is connected to the mission. The king, the, we need a life of responsibility that's shaped around the kingdom of God and the glory of the king and the love of others and gathering others into that kingdom. And so might I give you, parents, an image it's the image of Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4. It goes this way. Behold, children are a heritage for the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. In other words, parents, while you, kids, you have your kids in the home, and what you pray towards even as they grow older is that we would strengthen and shape our kids to be arrows of light for the kingdom of God, to be shot into a dark world world to bring the light of Jesus Christ. So that's one task, training, disciplining our children in the Lord. The second is the instruction of the Lord. Instruction. I'd say this has a lot to shaping their minds and bringing them the truth. This is the coach and the team. This isn't just simply we're out on the field, you know, running wind sprints, but this is in the, the, the room watching video. And this is the playbook and this is talking through things. But specifically what me mean is teach and instruct our children about the one in whom they follow, the Lord. They're being trained to serve the Lord and to know what his voice sounds like and to know what he values. And so this is obviously can be a million things, instructing our children as to, about the Lord and what he cares about. But let's just try to make it simple. Well, keep it. When, when God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and took on flesh, and he says, I'm going to display the glory of God, it says this in John 1, 14. What were the two characteristics he wanted to display? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we, we, we instruct our children in the truth. We convince them, one, that there is such a thing as truth rather important, especially these days, and that truth can be found most clearly in the word of God, that they are taught to memorize and to know God's word. We are to shape their hearts and minds in the Lord. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. We are called to have the mind of Christ, to be transformed in the renewal of our mind to have our minds informed so that by the truth of God, so that we know God's truth and we think his thoughts after him. And therefore, we are to saturate, saturate our children in biblical truth. That means we do it day in and day out. It says, as it says in Deuteronomy, as we're going out in the highways and the byways, and it means that we do family devotions as you're able to succeed in that. Good luck. 
and it means you bring your children to church, this question, by God's grace, should never be asked by your kids, are we going to church this Sunday? That this should not be an option. And that we to see our children as water in which we're putting the tea bag of God's word in it. And that the tea bag saturates and just kind of, absor- and the water absorbs the word of God and the things of God. And it permeates their mind and their habits. And this teaching affects everything, right? When we teach our kids the instructions of God's word, is that just spiritual? No. We believe that God, that this shapes every aspect of their life, their sexuality and their math and how they do history and what they read and what they watch and what they do. We teach our kids truth. And so we're bringing up our children in the fear and admonition and the instruction of the Lord. And parents and grandparents, this is the task of the church. This is why we put it out there as one of the vows that you make as members of this church when we baptize children. That we cannot fail at this call of passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. 300 years ago, there was a school started in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You know it as Harvard. Here is its original mission statement. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Harvard has abandoned that mission, but you and I cannot afford to. Frankly, that'd be a good mission statement to put up in your house, right next to the Joshua. This, me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. What does that look like? That. Is this the passion of your home that every child should be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of their life and their studies is to know Christ? The Harvard statement says that our instruction is to put Christ at the bottom. Do you know what that means? It's actually a nautical term from from shipping. A ship needs weight at its bottom. It it functioned as a ballast. Otherwise, the ships, they would rise up too much in the water. And what would happen if a ship is too much in the water? It's blown and tossed by the wind and the waves. I believe Jesus talks about this. But if you have weight and it's pulled down into the water, it is not blown and tossed. So are you laying Christ at the bottom of your children's lives? A heavy rock of foundation. So instruct in truth and also instruct in grace. Tell them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even more so, manifest it in your life. Show them the truth of Jesus in the way that you delight in over your children and you care for them. This means delight in them as the Father delights over you. Our children are desperate. They are desperate to know they are delighted in. How many children live their lives with the unmet longing for a parent's affection? Day in and day out. Our homes are to be a place of gentleness and warmth and welcome and fun and forgiveness. And the parent who has been lavished with the love of God lavishes that same love on their children. The wise parents and fathers, this is so good for us. Let's just apply it in one place. Fathers, fathers will not allow their teenage daughters to go into the world without affection from home. That they, they will not allow their teenage daughters to go into the world looking for an affection that they never got from dad. That's a recipe for destruction. 
Because there's lots of males out there that are, make, that are be more than happy to give your child pseudo-affection. So dads, are you putting the ballast of Christ's love at their hearts? And by showing your children this delight, you know what you're doing? You're making a theological statement about who your God is. Children in a grace-filled home see the wild joy and delight in the eyes of their parents, and that teaches them that that's how God views them as well. One of the greatest griefs of my life and as a parent are the memories I have of my sternness and my anger and downright violence in my tone. And there's so many bad things about it. But what ranks up there is what it says about God to my kids. That my anger and lack of compassion and care tells something about my God that is completely contrary to who he is. Because who is our God? He is a God full of truth and grace. Who is your God? He is the God of Psalm 103, verse 10 and 13. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Who is your God? He is the God who is slow to anger, and he is steadfast in love. And understand this. This truth and grace will be caught as much as it is taught. You can strive for devotions, family rhythms of worship, and you should, but the most frightening thing for me as a parent is that I communicate most significantly in the ways that I do not see. It is the unconscious ways of communicating. It's like we might say you parent out of your pores. That your kids know that while you may have words of love and graciousness coming out of your mouth, that what comes out of your pores is something very, very different. That your whole presence of the home brings stress and anxiety and legalism and self-righteousness. What's your presence in the room? You can be a parent who tells your kids of the grace of Jesus, but you know what? They will sniff it out when you don't believe it. They will smell it and they will sense it. This is a hard word, and we'll get so much of the good word, but let me give you a sneak peek. How do you get that love and grace? It can't just be from memorizing a few things and reading a few books. The only way you become somebody who is a a parent full of truth and grace is it has to come out of your pores. It has to be be something that becomes the very ballast and, and at the bottom of your own hearts. This whole section of Ephesians begins this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. In other words, you become an imitator of the fatherhood of God as you experience his love for you as his beloved child. And therefore, the only way you're going to be the parent who out of your pores comes grace and mercy and truth is if you know that your God sings over you, Zephaniah 3. That you have to see yourself as the little child in bed. You ever walked in? (laughs) Your kid could have been a hellion all day long. And that child goes to sleep, and you walk in your room, and what begins to happen? You have guilt over your failures, yes? (laughs) But you begin to weep over your love for that child. And that's how God views you as you sleep. That he is your father in the room who is standing over you, watching you sleep, and he is completely taken by you. 
that his affection is for you. And you have to experience the kiss of that father if you have any hope, any hope of moving towards this kind of parenting. Where do you get a father like that? Brothers and sisters, you have one. Behold what manner of love the father who calls us sons and daughters. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. All right, so this is the conviction and repentance sermon. And my fear is that it just feels like a blob over your soul right now. Just, just you got carpet bombed. And so I want us to try to bring us down. I'm going to ask you two questions that we're going to bring to the Lord in prayer. Parent, what are the things for which you need to repent to your kids of in the ways that you have starved them? Be specific. What are the ways in which you need to repent to your kids and make steps to bring change in your life? And the second is what are the changes that need to be made in order to feed them with Jesus? What are the priorities in your family that need to be changed, how you spend your time in order to give them the mission and the character of Christ? If you have your spouse sitting next to you, I'm not, and we're, not, we're not a hand-raising or aisle-walking church, really. We're a little bit more subtle. If you've got your spouse sitting next to you and you commit to have that conversation and answer those questions, just squeeze their hand. Heavenly Father, I, I, we, we, Lord, there's a lot of um, shame and guilt that could be a part of this. I know I have felt conviction all week. Would you give us conviction and not guilt? Would you not crush us, but would you lift us up? Would you show us that our, our sins are great, but the grace of Jesus for our parenting is even greater? I pray, Lord, I, I pray now that the Spirit of God would go forward in the conversations that parents need to have together this afternoon. I pray they would not wait. I pray for the conversations of confession, maybe by older parents that need to go back to adult children, and by new parents who need to to. to reprioritize and reshape the life that they're living. Oh, Spirit of the living God, would you fall on us for this task of repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.